Thank you so much. If you would, take a copy of God's Word this morning and open with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, I want to share with you this morning about how the resurrection of Jesus changes how we live. We just got done celebrating Easter where we come together to, to, as we do every Sunday, but specifically on Easter Sunday, to focus on the resurrection of Christ and what he has purchased for us through his life, death, and resurrection. But then oftentimes we just move on and I think oftentimes we can lose sight of how the resurrection actually impacts how we live from day to day. And so for the next six weeks, we're going to be uh, embarking upon a sermon series to discuss why the resurrection matters. And that ultimately the resurrection does matter to how you live. That we're going to look at how the death and resurrection of Jesus changes how you live every single day. That in Christ, something definitive has taken place. That what he's done through his life, death, and resurrection has eternal significance and it changes who we are. Romans chapter 6. I want to share with you before we read these verses that in chapter 5 we're told by Paul, actually throughout the opening of the book of Romans, we're told by Paul that, that all men stand condemned before God. That every single person is under Adam. That every single person has a sin nature by which we operate and ultimately separates us from God, that we're actually enemies of God, that we're in animosity with him, and yet Jesus has done something to bring us back into peace with God and to restore us into a right relationship with our creator. And in chapter 5, we're told that we are dead in sin under Adam but Jesus brings grace to sinners through his life, death, burial, and his resurrection. And through Christ, we're told, grace has abounded to us. And out of Paul's teaching of chapter 5, we see an important question raised and an answer given. And I believe this question and answer will help us to see why the resurrection of Jesus matters for our daily lives. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. I'm going to ask you if you're physically able to stand with me as we read God's word because we love God's word this much. And I want you to follow along with me as I read from Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 14. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Verse 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe we also live with him. 
We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Would you pray with me, Heavenly Father? We need you to teach us this morning. We need to understand your truth. And Father, I pray that you would help us to see why the resurrection matters this morning. Father, that we would see that in Christ, we have freedom from sin. That in Christ, we have deliverance. In Christ, we have forgiveness. That in him, we live so, Father, this morning, would you teach your children? Would you feed your sheep by your Spirit's power working? Would you take these verses and apply them to our hearts and help us to forsake sin and to love you? Lord, do all of this so that you might receive more glory and honor from the people in this room and that it might spread to the ends of the earth. Father, we love you and we thank you that you teach us and you love us. We give you all glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated for a moment. Paul teaches in chapter 5 that even though sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. And in fact, at the end of chapter 5, Paul tells us that as sin increased, as the law was given and they became more and more aware of their sin and their trespasses, Paul teaches that grace abounded even more, that the beautiful sacrifice of Christ in our place for our sin actually shines the brightest against the backdrop of our depravity and sin, that as great sinners, we see the beauty of Jesus as a great Savior to rescue even from the worst of sins that we might commit. And this brings up a question that Paul supposes, just in case somebody might be curious, because if sin increased and grace increased and abounded even more because the sin increased, then what might one say? Well, if Jesus looks more beautiful because he forgives me of such terrible sin, then if I just sin more, doesn't the grace of God abound more? So see, God, I'm showing your grace by the fact I'm sinning it up. See what human beings do? See how we take the grace God shows us? All of a sudden, there are actually people justifying sin by going, look, Jesus is going to look even better. He's going to look even more gracious because if he could save me of that sin, imagine if I do some really bad stuff. What it does is it, it becomes a license to rebel against God. And can a Christian do that? Can one who is in Jesus say they love him and yet walk in sin? And what that means is continually in sin. Well, there's a few things we've got to bring out. And I want you to bear with me. These are hard verses. This is hard stuff. And I'm going to try to share it as simply as I can. If the grace of Jesus is seen the brightest against the backdrop of sin increased, then why shouldn't we continue to sin? 
That's how the human heart reasons. Can I find a reason to justify my sinning? And Paul responds in verse 2 with a passionate no. By no means, he says. How can we who died to sin still live in it? This is the answer that the following verses flesh out in greater detail. And his answer highlights two things in particular that I want to share with you this morning. When we talk about being dead to sin and alive to God, here are two things that I think are found in these verses that we can take home with us. In his answer in these verses, he shows and highlights that in union with Jesus, we find number one, pardon for sin, and number two, power over sin. That in Jesus, we find pardon for sin and power over sin. Well, how do we see this? Look at verse 3 as he begins to flesh out that answer. By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? He says in verse 3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He says that believers, all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. He's talking to Christians who have placed their faith in Christ. He says all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. And you're going to see throughout the book of Romans this constant refrain of in him or in Jesus or with him or into Christ Jesus. And each of these is pointing to the importance of union with Christ. True salvation is union with Jesus. Identification with him through his death and his resurrection. In fact, it's so important, we see over 150 references in the New Testament to being in Jesus or in him or with him. And to be baptized into Christ, what does that mean? All of us who have been baptized into Christ, what is he getting at? Well, I believe that that's a, a picture or a reference to regeneration, to being justified, to being born again. To be baptized into Jesus is to be rescued by God through Christ. Through faith in the finished work of Jesus, we find that God has done something. We find the definitive death of the old self. And isn't this what's pictured in baptism? Just so you know, we as a church do not believe you are saved by being baptized. We believe that baptism is an outward expression of inward faith in Jesus. And it's a picture involved. Because the, the picture of baptism is one of death, burial, and resurrection. It's a picture of what Jesus has done for us. And it's a picture of what he does to us. That in Christ we are dead. The old self is gone. And the new has come. And I hate to break it to you, you can't do this. You can't do this on your own. All of these verbs for baptized and crucified and 
and buried and raised, all of these are passive tense. What does that mean? It means we're not the one doing the action. God is. And what we find in Jesus is that God is working on us. That he's taking us from death to life. And that life is found only in union with Christ to be in him. And he says all of us who have been baptized into Jesus were baptized into his death. That in Christ we are in union with Jesus' death. It's as if, Christians, it's as if we died with him. His death becomes our death. So what's the death he's talking about? What does it mean to die to sin? Well, we're going to need help from verse 10 to tell us, right? If, if we're told that we died with him, that our death, that his death is our death, then we better find out what Jesus died for. And in verse 10, we're told for the death he died, meaning Jesus, he died to sin once for all. What is this referring to? What does it mean? Well, it means that when Jesus died, he absorbed upon himself the full penalty for our sin. That's what it means that he died to sin. Jesus didn't have sin of his own. He wasn't guilty of anything. When he died, he died for our sin to pay the penalty for the sin we did, that, we had, that we had committed. And by the way, God's word tells us what the penalty for sin is. It is death. So if we're going to be regenerated, if we're going to be saved, if we're going to be born again, then someone has to die for our sin. And Jesus is the one who takes the full penalty of sin upon himself. And because he absorbed the full penalty of sin upon himself, that means that sin no longer has claim over him. Let me, I'll give it to you this way. Okay, let me, let me try to help you out. Because I understand we're dealing with some difficult stuff. If someone commits a crime... They are found guilty and sentenced. And they serve their sentence. And they come out of prison. What kind of influence does that crime have over them anymore? If they were sentenced and they paid the penalty for that crime, what sway does that crime have over them any longer? Will they go back to prison for it? Why? It's already been paid. It's already been settled. The penalty has been absorbed. When the legal penalty for sin has been paid, guess what? There is no longer any fear of judgment to come. If Jesus has absorbed the full penalty for our sin, he has died to sin, then guess what? It's as if we died to sin. It's as if we have absorbed the full penalty of sin so that no longer will we stand under condemnation again. It's what it means to be declared righteous and just. Folks, through Jesus' death, he died for us. And in union with him, his death counts for ours. 
That's what it, that picture of identification with Jesus through baptism, that's what it's showing us, is our union with him. That the death of Jesus, in his death, we actually as Christians find our pardon for sin. That's good news. Yeah, it is. It's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. It's, folks, you st we stood before God as guilty, deserving death. And there was nothing we could say to account for it. There was nothing we could do to get out of it. So you know what Jesus did? He took it upon himself for you. So now when you stand before God, there's no condemnation because Jesus has absorbed the full penalty. In Christ, in union with him, you and I find pardon for our sin. And what a glorious thing that is. Now verse 3 speaks of God's action. Verse 4 and 5 speaks of God's intent behind the action. We're told in verse 4, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So what did God intend to accomplish through the death of Jesus for us? Well, that just as we were baptized into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too might walk in newness of life. In Christ, we've died to sin so that as Christ was raised, we too might live and walk in newness of life. This is why the resurrection matters. This is why it matters for you. Because when you died in Jesus, you also share in Jesus' life that he was raised. And because of that, we now can walk in newness of life. Imagine that, a new life that can be lived in submission to the glory of God. All because you're in Jesus, because you have faith in him and what he's accomplished for you. That he absorbed the, the punishment for your sin so you and I might be pardoned, so that we might live as pardoned people can. No longer guilty before him. In union with Jesus, his death actually brings life for us. And through faith in Christ, we share in the death of Jesus that we would also share in his life. Now, here's what I want you to understand. This does not mean we will never sin. He's not saying that the life we live in Jesus in this moment is absent the presence of sin. What he's saying is we live this life now having been pardoned from our sin. And that's true even today as we live. It means that in Christ we are justified before God, no longer under condemnation, for our sin has been pardoned through his death. So now we live like those who have been forgiven completely. Folks, that changes how you live when you've been forgiven completely of your sin. You're no longer shackled to it, but instead you know, I stand before God as forgiven. And that's what Jesus has purchased. But let's not forget that there's an already not yet nature to this life we've been given. Are we alive in Jesus right now? You better believe it. It's the only way we can walk in glory to God and in righteousness at all. But have we experienced full life in him yet? 
that comes when, just as Christ was raised, so you too. Right? We long for the day when we take on resurrection bodies where we can now glorify and honor and dwell in the presence of our God forever and ever, no longer shackled to sin, no longer in the bitterness of sin, but now completely absent the presence of sin. See, right now, sin is still present. We still battle it. You feel it every day, don't you? Even as a Christian, you feel, I still am prone to sin. I'm still prone to, to, to rebel against God. Well, guess what? One day that will no longer be the case. And today we live in anticipation of that day. Because Jesus died and rose again. Charles Hodge, a Puritan theologian, said, As Jesus died and rose again literally, so his people die and rise spiritually. That's what's pictured in our baptism. Baptism doesn't save us. It's a picture of what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. It's the outward expression of inward faith in Jesus. And just so you know, I believe what Paul is teaching us is that our justification is tied to our sanctification. Because we no longer are condemned before God, we live and we grow in righteousness because of what he's purchased for us. Just as we were dead with Christ, we also are alive with him. But that only comes in union with Jesus. It only comes by faith in him, trust in him. In Christ, we are fully pardoned, forgiven. Our sin has no claim on us any longer because Jesus has paid for it. But it doesn't end there. That would be good by itself, wouldn't it? You've been pardoned for your sin. You no longer stand guilty before God. You can now live knowing that you have been forgiven completely. That's good enough, isn't it? But there's more. Because it's not just that in Christ we find the pardon for our sin, but also in Christ we find the power of sin over us is destroyed. That sin no longer exercises dominion over you as a believer. In Christ, we find power over sin. And that's what we see in the verses that follow. Look at verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. There's a, there's a structure to verse 6 that fits very well within my brain. Because what we find in verse 6 is Paul basically says, one thing happens so that another thing can happen so that another thing can happen. You with me? One thing happens so that another thing can happen so another thing can happen. So what's the one thing that happens? Well, he tells us in verse 6 that our old self was crucified with Jesus. Again, the completed work of Christ on the cross for us. The old self that according to chapter 5 of Romans was in union with Adam and was marked by bondage to sin and death. That we were under the power of sin. Chapter 5 gives us the picture that before we are saved, sin reigns as the king of our hearts. That sin is on the throne. Sin dictates and controls. That's the old self. The one that cannot honor God. Because it is under submission to sin and death. But something's happened. The old self, he says, has been crucified with Christ. Now, I want to point out there's an important difference between the King James Version and other versions. 
And I love King James Version's good. I, folks, King James Version is good. But in this part, I disagree. Because in the King James Version, this is translated, we know that our old self is crucified with him. I think the clearer reading of this is that our old self was crucified with him. These are past tense words. These are talking about definitive things that have happened that have continuous results into the future. And what we're being told is that that used to be who we were. We used to be in slavery to sin. But in verse 6, we know our old self was crucified with him. That's an act of Jesus that has been performed. It's something that's already accomplished for us. We're not waiting for it to happen. It has happened. Our old self has been crucified with him in order that the body of sin, he says, be brought to nothing. So what's the first thing that happens? Old self is crucified with Jesus so that, what? The body of sin might be brought to nothing. Well, what is that talking about? Well, the body of sin is the picture of being under the power of sin, under the control of sin. And he tells us that the old self has been crucified in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, it might be destroyed. Again, it doesn't mean we won't sin or be influenced by sin. It simply means that in Jesus, in union with him, the presence of sin hasn't been shattered yet, but the mastery of sin over us has been, according to Tom Schreiner. We still fight sin. We still know its presence, and yet it has no dominion over us as Christians. You know why? Because Jesus defeated death and sin. Not only has he pardoned you through his death, but he has broken forever the power of sin over you. We've been crucified with him so that the body of death would be brought to nothing, destroyed, so that, what's the last part? We would no longer be enslaved to sin. This is the ultimate goal. As believers, we would no longer be controlled by sin or under the dominion of sin, but now we're under the control of the Spirit of God. We can actually walk righteously. We can actually glorify God. You know why? Because we are no longer in bondage to sin and death. Because of what Jesus has done, sin no longer has control. God does. And as believers, we no longer serve sin. We serve God. We serve our King. We serve the one who has given everything for us. We are under his dominion now. No longer sin. Paul tells us that we've been transferred from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. That's a picture of there's someone else reigning in your heart now. It used to be sin reigning, Romans chapter 5. But guess who's reigning in your heart now? The God who has rescued you from your sin. You're going to get really excited about this at lunch. You're like, this is awesome. He goes on in verse 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Folks, that's a definitive change. That's a new reality for those in Christ. 
we have been justified, declared innocent from sin, and sin's sway over us has been defeated. The one who has died has been set free from sin. And we're told in verse 8 that as we have shared in the death of Christ, so too in union with him we share in his resurrection as well. I mentioned Charles Hodge, he says this, the consequences of Jesus' death are not just negative, that it's not simply deliverance from evil, moral and physical, but it's also a participation in his life. Not only has Jesus taken care of the negative and the bondage to sin, but he's brought the positive, which is life in him, that we can actually live in freedom to the Spirit, that we can actually glorify God. We can live lives as slaves to Jesus, walking in righteousness because he lives. This is why the resurrection matters. Your sin has been paid for. Sin's dominion over you has been broken and destroyed. So now we can enjoy the beautiful gift of Christ to walk in righteousness because he lives. We can and we should live lives of joy and righteousness and justice and peace and compassion and generosity and selflessness. We can and should live this way because this is who Christ has made us to be. This is what the new heart is. And I love the fact that we're told this can never be taken from us again. Why? Verse 9. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This life can never be taken from us. This new life in Jesus can't be stripped from us. You know why? Because Jesus will never have to die again. We can never fall back into slavery to sin because Christ has defeated death and sin once for all. Thomas Schreiner goes on to say, Jesus has shattered the rule of death and sin in your life. This is all true. This is what God has done for you as a believer. This is what he has purchased and given to you by his abundant grace. This is what you're able to enjoy and live out on a daily basis. Not because of what you and I have done for it, but because of what God has done for us. And because all of this has happened, he said, because you've died in him, because you were buried with him, because you're raised with him, because the old self has been crucified in him, because Jesus will no longer die again but lives forevermore, because of all those things, verse 11, consider yourselves dead to sin. Live like it. The word consider means value or view yourself in the right way. Folks, sometimes Christians act like we got no choice in this thing, like the devil made me do it and it's just who I am and it's just how I'm wired. Baloney! If you're in Christ, 
Your sin has been forgiven. You're innocent before God. And if you're in Jesus, the power of sin has been broken over you. It's destroyed. You don't have to sin anymore. It doesn't mean we won't. It means that sin is no longer our boss. And sin is no longer the king on the throne of our hearts. It's Jesus. And he is the one who purifies his people. He's the one who matures us and grows us to look more like himself. God's the one who's molding and shaping us into the image of his son. Consider who you are in Christ and live like it. It's hard. But it's possible in Jesus. You know why? You're no longer under your sin. You're no longer under the power of sin. So live your lives as sacrifices to God, who is your king and who reigns in your heart. See who you are that Christ has made you to be. Look at it. Look at what he's made you. Look at the old self gone and dead and the new self alive forevermore. Here's what I believe he's telling us. In light of what has happened to you in Jesus, in light of what God promises is to happen, we should rightly see ourselves as Christians dead to sin and alive to God in union with Jesus. You are dead to sin and alive to him. You know why? Because Jesus died and rose again. The resurrection matters for you folks. Because it's by the resurrection of Jesus you have new life that is free from dominion of sin and is pardoned before God. Live like this. Live knowing that sin has been paid for. The debt against you has been canceled. Jesus has conquered the grave for you. You have died with him. You share in his life. So live in this grace that you've received. Have nothing to do with the old life. Be killing sin in union with the one who died to sin for you so that you might live in him. Live every day as a battle against sin, showing that Christ is your treasure. He is your king, and you love him supremely. Sin is no longer your treasure. Jesus is. That's why the resurrection matters. Because when you and I walk out these doors today, we're going to be presented with opportunities to rebel against God again. And they're easy to find. And we love them sometimes. But consider who you are in Jesus. Look at who you are. That's why in verse 12 he tells us, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Can we continue to live in sin, verse 2? How can we live in sin if we're dead to it? Paul says exactly, you can't. Because you're no longer the old person. You have died and been raised into newness of life. So walk in righteousness. Folks, battle 
war against sin. It's who Christ has made you to be. Treasure Jesus supremely. Recognize the deliverance he's brought. Recognize the pardon he's given you. Recognize the power of sin broken in your heart and live for him. Now, for some of you in the room, you're going to try to be sanctified first and then be justified. You're going to think, well, maybe if I do good things and maybe if I fight against sin, then I can be saved. Then God will rescue me. No, 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 no. The only way we can rightly fight against sin and war against sin is to be rescued by our God. Is to be justified, born again, saved by him alone. So what you need this morning is not to try better, not to try harder. What you need this morning is not to clean up your life. What you need this morning is Jesus. You need a changed heart that only he can provide. You need to be united with him in his death so that you might also be united with him in his resurrection. You and I can't do that, but God does on a regular basis. And I'm urging you, by the word of God, sin will never satisfy you completely. Sin is fleeting pleasure. It promises great things but leaves you wanting. Stop chasing after sin and run to the one who has given everything for you who tells us that at his right hand are pleasures evermore. Find your satisfaction in Christ alone. Turn away from sin. Trust in him alone. Trust in his life, death, and resurrection for you. And Christians in the room, this is who we are. This is who you are. The old self is gone. Stop trying to go back to him. The new self has come. And it's come through Jesus Christ His death, burial, and resurrection for you. This is who you are as a believer. Live life to the glory of the king who sits enthroned on your new heart. No longer in allegiance to sin, but bowing down and living in worship to the king who has given us everything. Treasure him. And live every day in the good news. You're pardoned from your sin in Jesus. And the power of sin has been broken forever in your heart. Walk in righteousness. I'm going to ask you this morning to respond in some way. You need to, right? We've been presented with these truths. We can't just walk away unchanged. I'm going to ask you to respond to God. That response may be you need to trust in Jesus for the first time. You need to turn away from sin and find your your salvation in him alone and what he's accomplished for you. I'm going to urge you to to not leave here until you know you're trusting in Jesus and his sacrifice. And if you've got questions, please come talk to me. I stick around after the service and I'd love to talk with you and pray with you about how you can know Jesus. And Christians in the room, let us commit ourselves to living out the identity that Christ has given us, that we no longer belong to this world or to sin or to death, but we belong to our King. Let us live, leverage everything for His glory, live every moment for His honor and worthiness, that we might walk in righteousness so that He might be seen as the King and others might trust in Him as well. This is good news This is not living according to a to-do list. 
This is living in the love and joy that our Father shows us. How sweet it is to be able to walk after our King who's given everything for us. Maybe you need to pray. Maybe there's some sin that been, you've been entangled in that, that has just been overbearing in your life and you seem like you can't shake. Maybe you need to bring that to God and trust Him that He can make you holy and righteous as He promises to do bit by bit. Take our sin and repent of it and to lay it before Him saying it's only by your power that we can walk in righteousness. Maybe there's something in your life that you need to confess to Him. Now's the time to do business with a God who loves to forgive and to hear from his children. This morning, I'm going to ask you to respond. Whether it's in your seat or whether it's up here, let's go to God. And let's ask him to help us to see that union with Christ is the only way to new life. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I love you and I thank you for your word. And Father, I thank you that in your word you show us that apart from you, we are stuck in sin. We are dead in sin. We sit under your wrath against our sin. We deserve the punishment for our sin. And God, if you weren't to act, we would be left with nothing but the prospect of eternal judgment. That we would be separated from you forever. And God, I thank you that your word shows us that while that's true of us, Jesus has accomplished something. That you sent your son to die for our sin. He was buried in the ground for our sin. He was raised in newness of life because he had conquered sin. And he is alive forevermore as the source of life. And Father, would you help us to see that we cannot know salvation apart from him. We will never, ever find rescue apart from Jesus. And so, God, I ask you, I plead with you, God, to draw people to yourself this morning. Those who are trying to clean up their lives in the hopes that you'll love them more and forgive them, God, would you show them that they can't do it? And you're not asking them to. You're calling upon them to trust in Jesus alone and what he's done. So, Father, would you draw hearts away from sin and to love of you? God, would you create new hearts where old ones once existed? Father, for us as Christians, would you help us to see what a great privilege we live in, what grace we enjoy, that once we were enemies of yours, we were outcast strangers, but we've been adopted, we've been rescued, and because of that, we can know that our sin has been pardoned. And the power of sin has been destroyed over us. So, Father, would our lives look like that? Father, would we every morning remind ourselves of who we used to be and who we are now in Jesus? And it might cause us to walk in righteousness for you. But, Father, help us to battle sin. Sin is still present and we war against it. But, God, would you help us as Christians today? cast our sin before you and to trust you that you are able to forgive completely. We thank you, God, and we love you. What grace, what grace, what grace we have received. Father, help us to honor you. God, we thank you. 
we are new creatures in you. Help us to live. This morning, God, would your people respond to you in faith. And Father, would you receive glory from their lives. I ask it in Jesus' name.